0: Layla and I want to start this episode with a thank you. Thank you for listening to our series, and thank you for being our podcast community. We also want to let you know we're thinking of you as we navigate this pandemic and day 50-plus of quarantine. Additionally, we want to thank our guests, all of whom were willing to be interviewed from their place of quarantine. For some, that meant an attic. Others, it meant their childhood bedroom. And everyone was willing to be creative and thoughtful about how they drowned out the noise of their children, their neighbors, their neighbors and other interference to ensure that our community has the most accurate and insightful information. So thank you. We hope you are okay and continue to stay wellish as we move forward through this
1: pandemic. The census has brought to
2: life human beings who were disregarded and discarded The census is fundamentally about being seen and being recognized as an individual human and as a member of any number of different communities. So this is what our constitutional order
3: is based on. We can have a democracy, but if we don't exercise our choice and our voice, if we don't actually use our voice to make it better, if we don't actually go to the polls to cast our ballot, then we are not living in a democracy. If you are
4: trying to, especially in this pandemic era, feed your family, help your uncle who has just been released early from uh, an institution and navigate the fact that school is closed, the last thing you may be thinking about is, oh, let me remember to take the census it sounds so easy.
5: You just count up all the people in the country, one, two, three, and and yet, because it is the cornerstone of our democracy, it ultimately is going to be political.
4: From Bridger Media, it's 2020 Counts, the limited series on Census 2020 with your hosts, Layla Jerusalem and Alison Bajracharya.
6: Layla, good morning. Good morning, Allison.
0: So here we are, episode four. You know, we sort of paused on the direction we were originally heading with episode four because here we are in the pandemic. And so we decided to go out and talk to more experts to understand how they're navigating it now in these new constraints. And in doing so, we learn even more about the census. I mean, the history, the complexity, the importance.
6: What stood out to me about this episode is learning that there are groups of people in this country who will stop at nothing to ensure that certain groups are not counted. Everybody in their own way highlighted the importance of being counted, period. That there's something about being recognized and being alive in this country and being part of the whole that can't be taken away, both for the life we live now and for our posterity, for our history. And so that I think has been an incredibly powerful learning for me as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact that the census data is actually critical to storytelling and defining who we are or who we were. You know, I I think of the census as, or at least I used to think of the census as like rather, you know, mundane tool, survey tool that led to statistical analysis. But really it's a complex, massive, uh, rich resource of data that help inform really who we are and who we might be in some pretty magnificent and powerful ways. The power of the census lies in people responding at high rates. In the midst of the pandemic and the fallout from a potential citizenship question, the census faces a new set of hurdles.
2: It's particularly striking in the case of Puerto Rico, which had a response rate of lower than 6 percent, where the national average is a shade above 50 percent.
0: That's Tom Wolf. He's counsel with the Democracy Program at the Brennan Center for Justice and has been a civil rights attorney for about a decade. Tom is referencing the response rate as of late April. A decade ago, the response rate at this point for Puerto Rico was 54.8 percent.
2: Coming into this census, there were a couple of systemic difficulties that seemed like were going to come into play. One, the Bureau trying to shift to a primarily internet-based census. The digital divide follows a lot of the other racial and ethnic divides we have in the country.
0: Tom explained that there was a lot of work done to organize and mobilize communities that are undercounted to make sure they were counted fairly this time. But a lot of those strategies relied on face-to-face contact, which is not possible right now.
2: The Bureau has a program that's designed to do fieldwork early on in the course of the census to make sure that certain communities that are difficult to reach through, the mail have an opportunity to get forms and participate in the census normally that's rural america including but not totally limited to native american reservations but it also includes places that have been hit by natural disasters because when that happens people they lose their homes if their homes aren't destroyed entirely they may move to you know kind of other temporary quarters and so the idea is the bureau gets down early in places that need a lot of attention physically drops off paper forms for people to fill out and send back. The census hasn't been able to do that because of the pandemic.
4: So if our most vulnerable communities, our communities that have been most impacted um, by COVID-19 are undercounted, they are going to be under-resourced.
6: That's Ama Niemice. She's with the California Black Census and Redistricting Hub a network of organizations focused on increasing participation in the census among hard-to-count Black communities in the state.
4: So when you think about things like grab-and-go food centers, food banks that are in operation, when you think about those kinds of infrastructures, how are we making sure that those are being used to amplify the census? You know, show folks what the actual census looks like, why they need to take it, to literally connect... This resource that you are getting right now is made possible because of funds that were determined based on the census. And so we actually have this unique opportunity to say the value is is right before your eyes. So I often tell people that those who are the closest to the pain of systemic inequities and injustices are the folks who have the most to lose and gain in the census and redistricting process. Um, and so my community in particular, we are disproportionately overrepresented in our criminal justice system. Say we're 7% of the state population is Black, but we are like 29% of the incarcerated population, 40% of the homelessness population, right? And so it can go on and on, but the more systems impacted you are, the harder you are to count and the more you have at stake in the actual count and in the actual redistricting process.
6: Ama understands that for many people, especially those who are likely to be undercounted, the census is the last thing on their minds. If you are trying to,
4: especially in this pandemic era, feed your family, help your uncle who has just been released early from an institution and navigate the fact that school is closed, the last thing you may be thinking about is, oh, let me remember to take the census. And so it is compounded by stress that I think leads to a lot of folks who have the most to gain um, not being represented. So I think it's very critical to paint that picture. And the only way to do that is to actually meet people where they're at and explain to them and have conversations and talk about the importance of the census, acknowledge like, hey, I have learned a ton. I didn't realize how important the census was 10 years ago. I'm doing this work now because I think it is as important as voting. You know, I think particularly for Black Americans in this country, the concept of counting and representation, literally like where bodies actually are counted um, and represented, runs very deep for us. I almost get emotional thinking about it. It just triggers so many feelings and pride in terms of being represented and being counted.
0: And so how are you all doing that? How, how is a Black Hub doing that, especially in this age of pandemic?
4: Our original plan was to knock on doors across the state, phone bank, have events, touch infrastructure and events that are already a part of the fabric of our Black community and make sure that they are activated around the importance of the census. We had members who were running kiosks and assistance centers to help folks complete the census. Then the COVID-19 pandemic happened and everything had to shut down. The structures that we were planning on using to reach people are no longer available. So we have pivoted to focus on a few things. Virtual phone banking, where our coalition can call their communities from their cell phones and from the safety of their home and ask them, like, first, how are you doing? Have you heard about the census? Do you know the connection between the census and the programs that are gonna be so critical to ensuring an equitable recovery? For our community after this pandemic, we're also using digital advertising um, and make sure that our communities um, who are online are going to be able to click on an ad targeting them and that will take them directly to complete the census form.
6: We spoke with Seth Andrew about the connection between COVID 19 modeling and census data. Seth founded Democracy Builders and is a former senior advisor in the Obama administration.
3: This is actually an unfortunately good and clear case of the need for understanding where your population is and how they move and what they are and what their background is. I mean, just go to this simple question of age. The census will tell the government how old everyone is. And by understanding how old everyone is, you can do better modeling around the impacts of COVID. If we can understand the hotspots before they become hotspots and get the medical materials and ventilators and, and PPE to those on the front lines who need them, that's good policy. And if we don't have the data to know where those people are and where they might be, we're just reacting as opposed to being proactive.
5: Coming up, we'll
0: discuss the citizenship question.
5: This was absolutely a a disastrous way
2: to go about it. It was absolute napalm.
0: Find out who's suing the census and get an update from Maria Garcia and Arturo Vargas about how they're shifting their tactics amid COVID-19.
6: For too long, history lessons have glossed over the truly essential contributions women have made to history. That's where Encyclopedia Womanica comes in. This podcast from Wonder Media Network aims to change the narrative by introducing the pioneers, scientists, chefs, and more from antiquity to today who have shaped our society. Every weekday, host Jenny Kaplan dives into the trials, tragedies, and triumphs of this diverse group of groundbreaking women. And the best part is each episode is only five minutes long. The bite-sized episodes pack painstakingly researched content into fun, entertaining, and addictive daily adventures. You may or may not already know these women, but you definitely should. Subscribe to Encyclopedia Womanica wherever you get your podcasts. 2020 Counts is brought to you by Medinatura. If you've ever taken medication for pain, you know that there can be a range of side effects. Medinatura gives millions relief without the side effects of conventional medicines. When I got seriously injured a few years ago, one over-the-counter muscle pain product gave me instant relief. Tea Relief, made from arnica, plant-based pain relievers in a cream of organic oils and organic shea butter, contains no dyes or perfumes. Medinatura products like Tea Relief, Well Mind, Clear Life, and Reboost can be purchased on Amazon, at Whole Foods, or Sprouts. Use code 2020Counts to receive 20% off your order on MetaNatura.com. Hi, listeners. Before we get back to the rest of our show, we'd like to remind you to catch all episodes of our four part series and share them. Completing the census is important. Knowing why we should complete the census is more critical than ever.
5: The need for having accurate and reliable statistical information about the population is the cornerstone of a functioning democracy, but also a functioning economy. My name is Sunshine Hilligus. I'm professor of political science and public policy at Duke University, former member of the Census Scientific Advisory Committee. It's not just about representation. It's also about having sufficient information about where to build hospitals and schools. And it is also, from my standpoint as a social scientist, an important reminder that the decennial census is what is called the sample frame for every single federal survey that gets conducted on any topic for the next 10 years. This is our foundation for everything that we know about our population and the decisions that get made. The thing that I have spent a ton of time over the, the last decade is connecting the fact that the quality of our information ultimately rests on
3: people's cooperation. The tentacles of the census are everywhere in government.
6: Here's Seth again.
3: They affect how every single agency in the federal government does their job. Every single one has some direct tie to the census.
0: During Seth's time working in government, he started working on Vote.gov. It was an effort to make voter registration easier and more accessible. It was then that he started to understand how the census affects so much more than just the number of congressional seats in a given state.
3: Vote.gov was my effort to make voter registration easier and online wherever possible. I had to try to navigate a very complicated world to understand the voter registration data set from a national perspective. And that required looking at census data to try to understand where in the country were there represented populations of Americans who were either disproportionately registered or disproportionately unregistered.
0: Seth reiterates what we've heard all along. Every public service in this country relies on census data.
3: If you are a low-income American living in the South Bronx and wondering why you have lower quality public services that feel underfunded, that feel like they're not meeting your community's needs, a lot of that comes back to the census. If in the South Bronx you don't complete the census because you or members of your family may be undocumented, and you feel like filling out the census is a risky act because it is a voluntary interaction with government, then you don't get counted. And then when the calculations are done both at the state, city, and federal level for appropriation of resources, you are not counted in the appropriation of those resources. What is so important in this in this cycle is letting everybody know that they need to fill out the census, regardless of their documentation status or their English language status or anything else. And it's kind of like voting, but it has the impact of 10 federal votes in just one census completion, because this data will last for at least 10 years. We can have a democracy, but if we don't exercise our choice and our voice, if we don't actually use our voice to make it better, if we don't actually go to the polls to cast our ballot, to have our choice heard, then we are not living in a democracy.
2: The census is fundamentally about being seen and being recognized as an individual human and as a member of any number of different communities. So this is what our constitutional order is based on.
6: Here's Tom again.
2: In our American governmental system, we have a concept of representation that is a whole lot broader than who can vote. And so much hinges then on the census when you have a system like that. Part of what I was doing before I came to Census World was working on redistricting.
0: We touched on the idea of redistricting before in episode one, but here, Tom explains why this concept is so important to equity in American politics.
2: Redistricting is all about making sure that we have fair maps. And the thing that I had been concerned about for a while was the problem of partisan gerrymandering, basically, particularly in its most extreme forms, when the party drawing the maps draws the districts in a way to sort of max out their advantage and and lock it in over the course of time.
0: Gerrymandering is when an electoral district's boundaries are changed to favor a political party or demographic. It could be the city council, it could be the board, it could be the Senate. The point is, The district is intentionally drawn to maintain the power of a group that may share a specific racial, ethnic, or political identity.
2: You can't have fair maps unless you have a fair census, because all the data that comes from the census is what is used to draw the maps. So from my standpoint, the question of political representation has always been super bound up with the census. America is unique amongst basically every other country on the planet in that Political insiders generally control the map drawing process. So you have the people that are running for office are also determining what the districts that they're running in look like. We don't have a system where voters pick their politicians. We have a system where politicians pick their voters.
0: Elected officials oversee the redistricting process. So while redistricting is legally intended to right-size districts, as demographics and populations change over time, the process is oftentimes political in nature, resulting in gerrymandering.
2: Let's say you have an African American community in North Carolina. Those communities are very large, but they can be split up in ways to minimize their political power, or they can be packed all together in a small number of districts so that they end up winning small numbers of districts by large margins, and then uh, not being able to put candidates forward in any other districts. So I mentioned North Carolina because it's been sort of a test ground for a lot of the abuses of, of mapping over the last 30 years. The census is all about making your community visible, basically forced map drawers to acknowledge your existence and then obey the laws that are in place to protect your ability to elect candidates of your choice.
1: The most interesting consequences of the census count is that it results in power shifting in some of the most critical ways. That's Janae Nelson. She's the Associate Director Counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. There's such interesting jockeying uh, when it comes to the census count and counting communities and different populations within states and how demographics are shifting. So just by way of history from the past two censuses, there were 12 seats that shifted both in 2000 and in 2010, following the census count in those decades. Uh, so that means that there was enough shift in population to require the movement or reallocation of 12 different congressional seats. So we see across the board, particularly in the South, in states like Arizona in Georgia, in Nevada, in South Carolina, that there's been a growth of Latinx persons that has increased the number of people of color overall in those states and has enhanced their political power as a result.
0: Despite the increase in numbers and political power for historically underrepresented groups,
1: congressional representation has lagged. So when we think about How that power actually manifests in congressional representation, though, we do see a disconnect. We don't see the same diversity in the congressional representation of Texas that we see in its population. And that is largely due to redistricting. So the census is just the foundation, just the very beginning, but a critical and essential part of determining how power is allocated in this country if representation was commensurate with the growth in people of color, both Latinx and African-American people and Asians to a lesser extent, the actual allocation of power in those states would be very different.
6: The census is inherently political. This is especially clear when one understands its connection to redistricting. It becomes even more political when questions are added without going through the traditional vetting process and, even worse, used as a deterrent to completing the census. Here is Sunshine Hillagus again.
5: It sounds so easy. You just count up all the people in the country, one, two, three. And, and yet, because it is the cornerstone of our democracy,
6: it ultimately is going to be political. She testified in the federal trial, Department of Commerce versus New York, against including the citizenship question
5: when they said they're considering putting a citizenship question on. And we're like, no way. Like, why would they ever do that? That's crazy. And uh, both the Census Bureau and us as a committee had faith that they were really interested in having a high-quality census.
6: Here, she means the Department of Commerce, led by Wilbur Ross, who initiated inclusion of the citizenship question.
5: We thought it was just a matter of making clear how this would have negative consequences for the accuracy and reliability of the count. And so the Census Bureau uh, worked in good faith and CSAC sent our uh, explanation of why this was a bad idea. And it was then a shock when it was decided against Census Bureau recommendation to go ahead and proceed with adding the citizenship question.
6: Ross testified that he wanted to use the question to determine citizen age voting populations in order to enforce the Voting Rights Act. Many experts and the courts found Ross's explanation unconvincing. We all knew
5: that there was no way that the rationale that was offered was the actual rationale. So it was just it's such a kick in the gut to everybody who has worked so hard at the Census Bureau in a non-political fashion and really threw water on decades of work to kind of elevate the Census Bureau above politics. The Census Bureau has spent 10 years <laughs> testing just tiny little aspects of the questionnaire. And so at the last minute to add a question that had not been tested, that had not, you know, been evaluated, it just was absolutely crazy.
6: Janae believes this question has already impacted census participation rates.
1: The census has brought to life human beings who were disregarded and discarded. There's deep fear that I share that it will compromise the accurate count of everyone who's here. For a whole host of reasons, people are concerned about their safety. No one has to answer anything about their citizenship status on the census short form. But nonetheless, I do believe the threat by the Trump administration to include such a question had a chilling effect on people's enthusiasm about
6: the census. And Tom agrees.
2: The particular citizenship question that Secretary Ross was proposing, which was to ask every single person in the country for their status, has never been asked on any census before. It was historically unprecedented. It was absolute napalm.
6: Experts like Tom are concerned that the citizenship question created fear and confusion wreaking havoc with the census, even after the Supreme Court's ruling that the question violated federal law. As of February, 70% of American households still thought there was a citizenship question in this year's census. The Constitution states that representatives, meaning political power, shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons, This count is to be made irrespective of citizenship or immigration status. With a cap of 435 congressional seats in the House, apportionment is a zero-sum game. The states with the highest populations win. To gain power, you either need to add more people relative to other states, or other states need to lose people relative to yours. So if you're from a state that has a small number of undocumented immigrants relative to other states, you have incentive to deliberately obstruct counting those populations, which ultimately leads to undercutting political power for communities of color and immigrants. The U.S. Constitution is clear that all persons in the U.S. shall be counted on the census. Yet, even today, there is so much opposition in certain regions to include everyone that Alabama pursued litigation to ensure undocumented immigrants are excluded.
2: In that case, the state of Alabama and Representative Mo Brooks sued the Bureau to basically require the Bureau, after it's counted everyone in the country, to take out of the counts used for apportionment all of the people that Alabama calls illegal aliens. It seems like reading their papers, what they mean are undocumented immigrants. So they're all right with keeping in citizens or lawful permanent residents. It's quite radical, given that the Constitution itself says every person must be counted. It completely flies in the face of the Constitution.
0: Clearly, the census was riddled with challenges before the pandemic even began. Now, those challenges are exponentially greater. So, too, is the urgency to get this right. Janae explains.
1: In order to receive adequate resources from the federal government, which could not be more (laughs) apparently necessary or critical to our lives and livelihood than it is now in the midst of this pandemic, we need an accurate count. So it is in everyone's interest that we be counted in the event that something like this recurs in the reality that in order to get out of this, the fallout from this horrific health crisis, we need to understand where people are located Uh, how many people are in a given town or county or city, um, that we need the numbers to inform how we protect and take care of people going forward. The census is integral to the response to this pandemic.
6: Before we go, we checked in with Maria and Arturo from previous episodes to see how they're responding to the COVID-19 crisis.
7: Hi, Leila and Allison. This is Maria Garcia, Mayor Eric Garcetti Census Director. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, we've been transitioning our primarily on-the-ground outreach strategy to one that utilizes remote outreach like phone banking, peer-to-peer texting, and social media communications, including standard mailings. We're also distributing flyers to food pantries, grocery stores, and at homeless shelters. In fact, we're already seeing some of our new outreach strategies work. Seeing how people have responded to the COVID-19 pandemic has really made me hopeful for achieving a full count in Los Angeles. I think people are making the connection on their own about how their participation in the census means more federal funding for their communities for things like emergency response, and services in healthcare, housing, and education for our most vulnerable populations. I'm getting emails every day from regular people who want to do more to help Los Angeles, and that's something I'm really proud of. Everyday Angelenos who are meeting the moment and who are sending texts, hosting virtual town halls, posting on social media, trying to encourage their friends, their family, and neighbors to respond to the census. If we can keep this up through the end of a self-response period, then I think we have a good shot at achieving a complete count in Los Angeles. My message to everyone out there listening now is that you can continue to stay safe at home and still respond to the census at 2020census.gov. Thank you for reaching out. Stay strong, stay home, and save lives.
8: This is Arturo Vargas, CEO Naleo Educational Fund. We are continuing to do everything we can to promote a fair and accurate 2020 census and to promote the full participation of the Latino community. However, our work has become exponentially more difficult because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We have shifted all of our strategies to digital platforms. We're making use of all social media platforms as well as earned media and paid media. No one knows how this is going to turn out, but one thing is for sure, that the Census Bureau's work has become exponentially more difficult as well. Now, the one thing I am most proud of so far, however, is how much community members across the board continue to be committed to securing a fair and accurate census, even in light of COVID-19, which has understandably redirected a tremendous amount of attention and resources from community leaders. Nonetheless, uh, I have hope because so many people understand now how important it is to ensure that the 2020 census is successful and that everybody participates.
6: the COVID-19 pandemic, the deadline to complete your census form has been extended to October 31st. Go to 2020census.gov. That's 2020census.gov to complete your form.
3: There's no consequences that are negative for filling it out. It doesn't lead to more jury duty or less jury duty. When the government knows where the need is, resources get targeted there. When the government doesn't know, then resources don't get targeted there.
8: We need people who come in contact with everyday people in the course of doing their jobs. Every one of us has our own personal networks. We need to use those personal networks to make sure everybody in our space understand the importance of being counted.
1: It is an opportunity for each and every resident of a country to be visible, to be counted, to say, I am here to be part of the history of this country in a way that can never be erased. Uh, And there's something profoundly human about that. There's something that even rises above politics and rises above power and is simply the fact of existing and being recognized as part of a whole that I think cannot
6: be diminished. Thank you for joining us for a four-part series. Be sure to share it with a friend. 2020 Counts is a Bridger Media production. To learn more about our other shows and stay in touch, visit us at bridgermedia.com. That's B-R-I-D-G-R-Media.com. Sign up on our website and follow us on social media. 2020 Counts is developed and executive produced by Allison Bajracharya and Leila Jerusalem. The series is produced and mixed by Samantha Getzik. We'd like to thank the following. Stephen Winston for his branding expertise. Clayton Rosa for designing our website. Eli Green for website photography. Katie Payne for designing our cover art. Becky Carter for graphic design. PJ Shahamat for production help. John Raymond Fisher for lending his voiceover talent, and our families who spent hours wondering if they'd ever see us emerge from our recording caves. We did it. We did it. Four episodes on the census. We got some crazy interviews. We learned so much. And in many ways, I feel like this is just the beginning, even though our series is over. I actually feel like we've completed our own class, uh, and that
0: our, you know, we started with such limited knowledge on the census, and now we have a much deeper knowledge. By no means are we experts, but we've talked to so many amazing experts.
6: We should rebrand our entire series a master class on the census, <laughs> since that's what everybody <laughs> is doing right now. <laughs> that is the thing to do. I hope that people can take to heart how important this is. And I hope that even though our census focuses on this particular year and this particular time in our history, that everything we discussed will apply in perpetuity.
0: And I hope that our listeners who listen to all four episodes also feel like they learned a lot. I mean, I sort of feel like we should anoint a symbolic census degree for everyone everyone who listened. So (laughs) thank you for those of us who joined us on this journey. There's so much hope in the census. And if we can get to 100% count, I do think our democracy will be stronger.
6: Thank you, everyone, for supporting us. Layla,
0: I hope we can continue to do video chats from your pantry in my dark garage. (laughs)